Welcome to the Midweek Social on All Villa, No Filler. This week's guest is Neil Dunworth from For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. Neil, welcome to All Villa, No Filler. Hello, Frankie. Thanks very much for having me back on again. It's always great to talk to you. It absolutely is good to chat to you as well, Neil. So since we last spoke in January, it feels like things just been, well, on the up and up at Villa under the man I call Professor Unai Emery. Um, what do you think has most improved at Villa since our last chat two months ago? That's a really good question. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of people actually have, uh, I've seen a, um, out there on Twitter a good bit. And and I think one of the biggest things is, is change about Aston Villa is that... Uh, People take us seriously again. Um, that's been big um, because we were very much in this purgatorial kind of no man's land um, whereby it was really only, the only reason we were being talked about in the media was because of friends of friends or former players of Steven Gerrard were there to back him up. And mm-hmm. you never want to be in a situation when the only reason that the media are talking about you is because they're trying to back up their pal. Whereas now what they're trying to do is, what I love about this as well is you're beginning to see it more and more often is the media are now trying to figure out who Naimri. They're trying to figure out what he's doing at Aston Villa, why he's doing it, and how he's co- and 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 we're not the sexiest team in the world, and that's absolutely fine by me. But we're getting results and we're climbing the table, and it and it's even more kind of pronounced to the fact that we're at that we're we're on Chelsea's coattails, but there's a huge gap between us and Crystal Palace. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, prior to when we last spoke, or maybe even uh, even just before that. Uh, you know, we were very much mired in the in the sixteen to sixteen to eighteen battle there. You know, at the very bottom of the table. So I think the biggest thing is 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 respect. I think um has changed at Aston Villa, but also uh, I suppose realistically on the field, what has changed is uh, I think discipline and discipline of um of how we play the game has changed in a lot of aspects and that has allowed us to become a bit more expensive in certain areas but also to be able to 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 close the um close ranks when we need to in games and i think that's something that Una Emery wanted and has always wanted to instill in these players but big thing i think is is um is is the respect and we're beginning to be talked about as kind of an enigma within the league because mm. we're not playing that beautiful style of i i think it's actually quite fine but a lot of people are you're either Pep Guardiola or you're Tony Pulis you know that's kind of the way that that that's the way Twitter works. That's the way yeah. uh, uh, punditry works at the moment. But people are trying to get, trying to figure out uh, Una Emery's style, and uh, yeah, they're having a great, great, great time on the internet trying to figure that out. And I think that that's nice. I think it's good to hear from and, and Villa fans. We're 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 able to put our chest out again. That's another yeah. thing. That's another great thing to be able to say for the first time in a long time. It's uh, yeah, it's it's quite interesting with Villa. I think that because the Premier League is so competitive this year. It feels like every team is playing for something. It feels like Villa are the one team that are kind of like, I mean, even where we are, we're in 11th. We could still get to Europe. Mm. Um, but it sort of feels like we're the one team that you may be a lot, sort of the, the wider media, I guess, hasn't really taken much notice of just yet. So it sort of feels like what Emery's doing at Villa is, Villa fans have definitely seen the improvement, but we, you know, whether the rest football is yet quite caught on that something is it feels like something's happening at Villa and there's something I said you know in the podcast we did the other day where I said there's almost in a way it feels like Villa um it's not too different to where Newcastle were exactly a year ago you know a new coach positivity growing a decent purchase or two fans getting behind it 
Now, I'm not saying we're going to end up in the same position Newcastle are right now. They've had an amazing season, really. But do you think I was overstating it when I said that? Or do you think that there is a real chance that Villa could be lining up to have a real go at the top, you know, the more traditional top six next season? Um, Yeah, I definitely do. I, I think that Villa are lining up to have a go. And I, I, I think they should be one of the teams. And I think Newcastle should be one of the teams as well. They should be lining up to have a go. The, the one thing about Newcastle is that uh, I suppose last year, what they did with all that, that massive unbeaten run after not winning for so long when Eddie Howe came in, that was spectacular. That is probably yeah, something that, you know, you're not going to see that year on year. You're probably not even going to see that decade on decade. That was very, very special. What they went on last season, culminating, obviously, or, or it included, should I say, with the Saudi takeover and so on and so forth. Um, But I think from the point of view that, that uh, you know, it will be a Newcastle, Aston Villa kind of, um, I, I'm very reluctant to call it mid-tier, but uh, because there's, you know, the, the top six may not be the top six anymore. You know, mm-hmm. what's going to happen at Spurs? Uh, I think Spurs are the real kind of, they, they, there could be a big supernova at Spurs that could Blow it, blow it wide open from the point of view of, you know, the players are all, it seems like the the club are going to back the players. They're going to get rid of Conte. What's going to happen there? Um, I would think they will be fine from a managerial point of view. No problem. Um, But, uh, you know, it's been very public uh, that the fans don't want the board and that the board don't want the manager and that the manager doesn't want the players and nobody seems <laughs> yeah. to want to be married to anybody in that relationship there <laughs> yeah. and it's uh, it's really strange so they're going to have clear clear house and they will come again like it's, there's no fear on that yeah. but I'm talking specifically about next year um, will Chelsea more um, will they gel together for next year you know so and I know they're not in the top six at the moment I know neither of those two teams are are, are going to make the the Champions League it would seem this season, but uh, from the point of view of getting in the top six, I think that I think the Aston Villa should look to go there. You don't bring in Unai Emery to want to solidify your tenth or eleventh. You, you don't do that. Um, you don't allow Unai Emery to to take a good look at the at the squad and and then start talking about some of the big names we've been linked with. Um, you know, now once again, the paper never refused ink. The links that we've had for those pay- those players could just be all hogwash, mm. but you don't start tr- like you, the ma- what I'm trying to say is that, that we've put a couple of pieces in place here to be able to to, to be able to, to to maneuver. I think and and when you've got Unai Emery and you, you know if you can solidify that team to be able to be a one nil merchant team, then you're always going to have a chance to finish in those European places. And all you have to do is look at our look at our current um our current trajectory under him. We're third or fourth, depending on what way you want to look at it and what um uh, what way you want to what table you want to look at. And, and you know that's very very good form for this team because uh, arguably you know the players we have at our disposal and the the shrunken nature of our squad that we have at the moment, uh, we shouldn't be in that position. Yeah. So of being in that third fourth. Um, uh, position since Unai Emery has come in so he's already doing a very very decent job and with reinforcements for the players that he wants um, he, he would be looking to to capitalise upon some of the other teams maybe having a down year next season so it's going to be really interesting Yeah it's been I mean just to be honest it's the most sort of elated I've felt about a manager's um, start at Aston Villa for such a long time um, mm. and I think his background as well you know with the four Europa League trophies and generally finishing you know high in the league with different teams that 
I don't know, it just gives you a lot of hope that there's actually a lot of substance to to this rather than, I don't know, in comparison to Gerard last year when he had a decentish start and it all then just started to fall away and it got a bit exposed. But, you know, if we, we're talking about improvement under Unai Emery, which players do you think have most improved under him? Uh, there's there's another, another thing, there's been a lot of, lot of topics, conversation around this, obviously, um, whether play, Douglas Louise playing alongside... Uh, Alongside Bubakar Camaro was the reason for his um his renaissance. Well, not you can't really say that someone's twenty four is having a renaissance, but uh, <laughs> the fact that he's um he's he's elevated his game, and then Bubakar Camaro goes out of the team, and we still see that Douglas Louise steps up and becomes that crucial player within midfield. So certainly Douglas Louise. Um, I think Matty Cash. I think Matty Cash has re- has been really good the last three games. Has, it might be yeah. too early to say that he's improved that much under under Unai Emery, but. Matty Cash isn't a bad player. He didn't become a bad player just because uh just because he went to the World Cup. But what's what's happened is he's had to force his way back into the team. Yeah. Whenever I hear Matty Cash talk, he seems like a guy who uh is very level headed. He's not a he's certainly not a diva. He just seems like an everyday guy. Uh, and I think he relished that challenge. And uh, he's back in the team now and he's playing better than he has in a long time. But you you could you could you could point to different areas of different people. Um, obviously, Ollie Watkins has had a, had a real upturn in form. Tyrone Mings has been really, really good. Yeah. And Ezri Kanza and Mings, that partnership has become solid, solid, solid again. So, you know, um, the biggest names would, I, I think would be Douglas Louise, Ollie Watkins and and um, uh, and Maddie Cash. But I think the fact that Unai Emery has come in, he's kind of raised or he's elevated a lot of other play, other performers, um, such as maybe, uh, well, not maybe, uh, John McGinn has been much better. Um, under Unai Emery as well, and uh, I think there's very few players that have regressed under him. So that's uh, that's always a plus point and always a positive. Yeah, it does feel like there's. I can't really think of anybody who's regressed under him, to be honest. Um, but you know, uh, we recently beat Bournemouth three mm-hmm. nil. Um, do you think that was the best performance so far under Unai Emery? Um, I think it's probably been the most complete performance. Yeah, I mm-hmm. I, I I would think so. I think. I think Man United, the very first, uh, yeah. very first game he came in, that's probably always going to stand out. They're going to stand out for me as these as the best performance of the team because it was just a sledgehammer blow straight out of the out of yeah. the um, out of the blocks. And I loved that game. And I, I literally sat here, my my jaw was on the floor. And <laughs> Luke Dean pings went in from a free yeah. kick, and like you're just going like, what's going on here? Villa are doing things that they never do. Um, but a close second would be that Bournemouth game. But I think the thing that 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 kind of got me the most with the Bournemouth game was um we've been screaming out for identity, we've been screaming out for uh for structure under Steven Gerrard. Mm-hmm. And uh it takes time obviously for that to for that to be instilled, but I got the feeling against Bournemouth that there was something there that you could see it, you know, you could palpably see it. You can see we've Completely. done this. The, the way that we've attacked in certain areas against Bournemouth, we've done that in other games. So uh, uh, for me, an identity isn't a one-off good game or a one-off bad game or whatever the case may be. It's about, have I seen this move before? Mm. And is this team still not able to, to, to shut it down? Because Man City sometimes will beat you with very similar goals. And that's the anno- that's why teams at the top can be really annoying, is because mm-hmm. they can replicate successful uh, maneuvers, successful moves, successful successful um, patterns of play. And I think we're beginning to see that now. Yeah. And we're beginning to see players in midfield shift off um, 
uh, attackers as they're coming through and and the communication seems to be a lot better between our back four so um the Bournemouth game uh, like obviously the, the the best performance I think was the Man United game but obviously that was his first game but but the most complete performance and one that I'd be most kind of um most um how would I say happy with I think would would have to be that Bournemouth game because you could see all those little idiosyncrasies that we were crying out for under Steven Gerrard team um, the confidence, the lack of confidence in midfield under that team was just criminal. Uh, and we're seeing these little things creep back in uh, game by game now. Mm. And that's the real mark of an identity, I think. Yeah, completely. I mean, I, I went to Selhurst Park early this season and it's a game I always refer to when we lost 3-1 there. I think it was the third game of the season. And, mm. it, you know, I'd already given up hope on Gerrard after the Bournemouth loss. That's when I kind of, had, all of my hope and optimism of pre-season was just vanished in that one game. Um, but seeing it in person where... I remember Mings and Concert were constantly playing the ball back and forth to each other, but there was no out ball at all. It just never felt like there were any there was any kind of structural pattern in which to progress the ball forward further up the pitch. Whereas now you see Concert and Mings pass the ball back and forth to each other quite a lot, but it feels like there's a there's a method behind it. And it feels mm-hmm. like they're just being patient and they're waiting and they're just waiting for that opportunity for the team, to, the opposition to eventually press them. A gap opens and there's a triangle. And more, over, more often than not, it feels like it's kind of on the left. I mean, do, yeah. you think that, do you think that's fair enough? To, I feel like it's when I'm, I'm watching Villa. And again, I went to the other Palace game at home recently and I felt like a lot of Villa's attacking play came from Alex Moreno pushing forward. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what, yeah. what do you make of Alex Moreno? Do you think he's added like a really important and dynamic to Villa? Yes, and uh, and the reason that he's added the dynamic is that he's a ball carrier. Uh, mm. We had we like we haven't had a ball carrier. Sorry, I suppose the only ball carrier in the team is Jacob Ramsey. Yeah, in, in the whole team, <laughs> that was all throughout all last year and this year as well. So 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 far, and then Alex Moreno comes in. He's able to carry that ball up that left wing. Um, he's got yeah, he's got a a different addition of tempo. He's not he's not slow, but he's not like lightning fast but mm. it's the tempo uh, change that he brings when he carries that ball up that right, that left hand side uh, i think has been has been a godsend because Luca Dean's an international fullback i, I actually i think he should have gone to the world cup this year mm. much and all is sometimes i malign him for his defending uh, but but he he is very one paced you know it, within with, within his transitions up that left wing and uh, what you know he does some really good things in the attacking attacking side but Alex Moreno keeps teams guessing. You know, he's not going to be the stand and deliver, have to cross it from deep or, uh, you know, wait for the ball to come to him. And then when the ball comes to him, he's going to ping it across. And Luka Dean does that really well, but it's predictable. And we don't have a big beanpole or a big known striker that gets his head on everything inside in the box. So yeah. it's not really playing to our strengths. But Alex Moreno does because it keeps teams guessing because he can cross the ball in like we saw um, he's the cross that, that he gave in for um, for Ali Watkins' goal recently, or he can oh, take yeah, it to the yeah. byline and, and run in around uh, uh, a fullback and cut it back to the penalty area as well. Mm. So the diversity in his play is, is something that we... And, and you can see that Unai Emery likes that because he's now becoming that favoured left-back. There was a time when we had an away left-back and a home fo- yeah. left-back. It's now becoming uh, Alex Moreno's to lose, uh, I, th- I think, at this stage because of the, the, the diversity in how he plays. Yeah, it's quite amazing how far forward you see him and almost like a left midfielder a lot of the time. And uh, the, sort of, the, the sort of little triangles he works, I think, sometimes, particularly with Jacob Ramsey, I've noticed. 
Um, I think Ramsey likes playing with him. Ollie Watkins, Douglas Luiz, and then obviously Mings passing the ball to him. So I don't know. I just feel like on that left-hand side, Villa have got probably in a, attacking-wise, we're very strong. But it also feels like defensively, that's maybe where you can actually get at us as, as well. Um, maybe because of the gaps that Moreno leaves as if he pushes forward. Um but, you know, when we watch Villa, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the strengths. But against Bournemouth, there were one or two occasions where the high line got caught. You know, Solanke going through on goal probably should have scored. Or Wataro in the first half, I thought, outright against Moreno was creating one or two problems. Do you think there's any any weaknesses with Villa at the moment? Is there any is there anywhere in the pitch that, you know, if we come up against a very well-organised side or one that studies us, that might th- you might think that might be how they get at us and might be somewhere we need to improve over the summer? Yes, I think that there's an area that we can improve in, and and it's, I think it's what we do when we lose the ball in attack, um, without singling out Leon Bailey, but, mm. you know, the the fact that that the way he attacks is so disjointed from the rest of the team, and that's why he's in the team. I completely understand that he's he's in there to to be a maverick. He's in there to to offer something different. Like I said, Alex Moreno does down the left hand side. Leon Bailey off, is supposed to offer that with his pace, um, a, a different a different transition there. When we lose possession from Leon Bailey, sometimes we can be very open, and the reason for that is because he either attacks too quickly or goes, uh, uh puts the head down and kind of goes, um, and goes, uh, on, on his own furrow, uh, and we're not set in midfield, hmm. um, or when he loses it. Uh, he kind of he doesn't even get to get up to top speed if that makes sense, and then he loses it around the halfway line. So, without and without Cast getting him, I think we can get better in that area as to when we lose the ball, do we get set in midfield a small bit quicker? Um, that's that's the one area I think that we can see because you go back to the Leicester game, they picked us apart very easily with yeah. with, uh, with with early balls, and the reason for that was because. There was it. It kind of reminded me slightly of Spurs last season when Harry Kane just ate our lunch, uh, and and that was, but it was to, to a different degree. And the reason they were able to do that was because there was space in 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 front of our two centre halves, so they would play the ball over them diagonally or whichever way they wanted to do. And you know, if you've got players that can clog up that area in the middle of midfield, that's why they're there. That's why they're so sought after. A good defensive midfielder is so sought after. And we had Kamara in that game, and and. And and he didn't perform pretty. He didn't perform very well in that game at all. And it probably was his worst game for Aston Villa so far. Um, but you know, if you've got open space in front of two centre halves, and you can see spaces in behind them, and you can see clear clear areas where you can just target that one defender, that's when the the high line becomes an issue because you can go over them diagonally, or you can go in in front of them to players to try and draw them out. And if you start staggering your two centre halves with a high line then you're in massive trouble because the offside trap is gone yeah. and um and it blows the whole area wide open so um w- without uh, i i think that in in that essence there i suppose more coherent attack on both sides would is probably an area that we're we're struggling in at the moment we do do some good things and Leon Bailey did some really good things against Bournemouth as well so i'm not singling him out i just wanted to kind of show that if we lose the ball in specifically on that right hand side of the field if our midfield isn't set, it can cause issues with our high line, and and that's that's what I've tended to see that any high line issues that we've had previously, even against Liverpool as well, when Darwin Nunes went out there and they were yeah. swapping Darwin Nunes and Salah out on 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 the right hand side, it it came from us losing the ball on the right hand side and being open there. Our, our centre halves had to shuffle across, 
center or center midfields couldn't get into position to kind of shield that area. And then they had opportunity, clear passing lanes to be able to target one center half over the other. And then it makes your center halves look bad. So sometimes, you know, you could look at it and you could say, oh, Tyrone Minks had an awful game today. Why? Because they were able to play the ball in behind him at will. But why were they able to play the ball in behind him at will? Because they could just literally ping balls over his head and get people in and around him because there was no one in front um, in front of him stopping those clear passing lanes. So it's uh, it's it's six of one, half a dozen of the other uh, when we look at things like that. But I think that's one area where I would like to see us improve. And to be honest with you, it's an area that Una Emery knows we need to we need to improve. If you've to, if you are to go on the strong rumor that Matt, Matteo Ganduzzi was linked with us in the in in the January window, um, that would go a long way to to helping us in that area for sure. Yeah, I definitely think there was something to that Guendouzi link. It just seems like you can just see him in that Villa team, I think. Um, but you know, uh, with Leon Bailey, who you just mentioned. I mean, obviously, one of the, one of the more um, frustrating members of the team, I guess, is a fair way of putting it. You know, he can mm-hmm. moment of capable of moments of absolute world class ability, and then you know, will do something that you just can't believe he's done as a professional footballer. Is is it just an interesting player, really? Um, what do you think the future is for him? And do you think that in his position, where Traore also now is a backup? Do you think that's somewhere Villa might target this summer as somewhere we might spend a lot of money to uh, yeah. get a new player in? Yeah. I think so. Too. I, I definitely think so. The The whole striking department, forward playing department is where Villa are going to um, are going to hopefully um, add one or two players, I think, in, in, this, in this upcoming transfer window. Uh, I think at least one recognised striker will come in. Uh, which we need. Uh, mm-hmm. We are very much at the mercy of Ali Watkins staying fit at this moment in time. <laughs> yeah, um, and, uh, and 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 unless and, and Leon Bailey really steps up. Uh, one of the biggest things I think with Bailey, and look, once again, I don't want to go in two-footed on him because he's he's obviously a good player. I, I just think the league isn't for him. I, I The more I'm looking at it, the more I think the league isn't a league that offers itself to his strengths. I think he goes to Spain, he looks better. I think he goes to Italy, he looks better. I think he goes, uh, you know, Germany sorted, sorted him because of the very rigid nature of the way that they defend in Germany. And and plus, you've got the, the haves and the have-nots in the German league, playing with playing with Leverkusen, um, with uh, with Kai Havertz. I think Havertz, yeah, Havertz was with him there, and Patrick Schick and, and all those guys. They were occupying uh, defenders while uh, Leon Bailey was able to get up and down that that uh, that right or that left wing as well. So, um, it could be a case whereby the league doesn't doesn't suit him. But then again, we've seen him play well in games. I thought he was really good against Leeds this this season. First half last week, I thought he was he was better. I still expect more from him. But the thing with him is that. He expects more from himself too, and he seems mm. to be in a situation whereby things aren't going. He's going to the level that he wants, and and he's getting almost overly frustrated with himself with regards to it. So I feel sorry for him in a lot of aspects that way. I think that Unai Emery is like, unless you're going to get a decent return for him, I think you're probably best off to hold on to him and try and see if you can reclaim him. Mm. I don't know that are the club like like the club spent what thirty odd million on him, thirty two million or whatever. Club aren't going to see that back. They yeah. might see half of it back. They'll in the year's time, they'll probably still see half of it back. So I think Una Emery will sit and look and maybe say, Would another season, would another season of, of, of me working with him in the summer work? Um and I think that's probably where he, where we will come down. He's very much a, a, a you know 
the, a player that people are frustrated by at the moment. But there will obviously be competition in there. There'll be another winger, if not two. There'll definitely be a central striker brought in. If there's only, if there's only one winger brought in, I think there might be two central strikers brought in um, to play that 4-2-2 kind of situation. But um, I think that it's an area we would be heavily active in. Uh, you know, there was rumours that we were looking at Marcus Turam, Moussa Dembele looked like it was something that was going to happen in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been linked with Nicholas Jackson. We've been linked with guys like big beanpoles like Vedat Mariki as well from uh, Mallorca. We've been linked with linked with two. And, you know, they're, they're, once again, as I said, paper never refused ink and they could all be bogus links. But um, it's, it, it's an interesting area and... and it's one where we've got absolutely no steer on where Unai Emery wants to go so far. And it's going to be really interesting because we're going to hear names and some some people will, will look at names and go, what the hell are Villa doing being linked with this player? This <laughs> yeah. isn't the £70 million player I was I was <laughs> promised. That's going to happen. Yeah, But it, it's it's going to happen for a reason because Unai Emery's attacking play is, uh, is very much uh, system-based. And um, look... Let let let's let's see what it brings because uh, Dan Juma is in the Premier League at the moment, and I'm not quite sure I've even heard of him kicking a ball <laughs> since, he's, yeah. since he's come in. I can't so. remember him doing it. I yeah. don't even know who he's with. Did he join Everton or Spurs? Uh, I can't remember to, who yeah. he's with. Spurs last minute, wasn't he? <laughs> it was it was Spurs, yeah, yeah, it was Spurs, and and he's not played that much. So um, it's uh, I think he's only played one game actually. I don't know is he injured or not, yeah. but it's um, yeah. Look, it's it, it's one of those things that uh, Unai Emery is going to bring in players that he knows he can work with and can fit his style. Um, it may not be the sexy names, it may not be be who we were thinking of, but um, I'm willing to give a lot of players tries up there because as you see, Danny Ings playing up there who can obviously score goals, never in question. Um, if he's not going to be the flavor of the month, they're not going to be somebody that can do the work that's needed up there. Una Emery is going to make the business decisions there. And I think there's other areas where the, biz- the business decisions would be made. Like maybe maybe Luca Dean is a business decision in, in, the, in, the, in the summer. Um, but uh, but uh, I think that Leon Bailey might, I think Leon Bailey might be somebody that we might still continue to see um, into next season as well. Yeah, I think Alex Moreno is a good example of a player that you'd say that's not the 30 million, 50 million player I was promised. Yet yeah. you can totally see what it is that Emery saw in him, um, considering the way he's been playing, particularly in, I would say, the last five or six games. Um, so that's, that's you know, and 14 million in this day and age is a fairly decent shout, I would say. But one player Villa have been linked with, um, someone we both covered, is a Portuguese player, uh, Sporting's Pedro Gonçalves. Now, it, it seems like this week is when the links have really hotted up. There's been reports of 80, 90 million pound release clauses, talk of 40, 50 million pounds. So we're spinning to, obviously, you know, we don't know the exact veracity of those links, but mm. um, is he a player that you could see at Villa and a player that you would be happy to see at Villa? A million thousand percent. And the reason being is because we spoke about um we, we just spoke there, I suppose, about uh, about attacking in a certain way. And and um we're a team that look, we're we're getting better at at at, at ball retention at the moment, but we're a team that needs to make things happen. There was a lot of t- like at the weekend we made a lot of clear cut chances. Fantastic to see and long may it continue. Uh because there, there was times like we were like a cat playing with a mouse there there uh, at times against Bournemouth. But there have been other games where we've had to be clinical with our one or two chances have been good chances and Ollie Watkins has put one away or something along those lines. The thing about Gonzalez is 
that in in this sporting team, um, he's not force fed, and this is what I love about him. This is what I love about him. He's not a force fed player. Uh, like he's not somebody that the club look to get the ball to the whole time. They've got a really good midfield with Ugarte in in there as well, and and there's there's some really good players that they have, but. What he is, is he's superbly economical. We spoke about Danny Ings a moment ago. Danny Ings shot the goal record over the last, uh, I think it's three years, is is is, is ridiculous. You know, he, he barely shoots, but when he shoots, he scores. He doesn't waste chances like that. With this guy here as well, you see the same from midfield. Um, I know a lot of people would point to his uh, his wonder goal against Arsenal from uh, from like 60 yards out, <laughs> but... But he's a he's very much a metronomic tempo player as well. He's going to pass that ball around. He's going to be able to win it in midfield. I'm torn between where he would play in this team, whether he mm. would be pushed a small bit wider, considering he's a left sided player. Um, in predominantly in the main, he's left, but he's allowed drift around that kind of that area behind the striker, and and he he does contribute within the within the defensive side of play as well. He's not a he's not solely kind of like an attacking player where you can leave him up top. He's not like, he's a bit more Buendia in his industry when he gets yeah. around the field. But the biggest thing for me is we lack creators at this moment. It's It sounds a bit silly because we're getting goals from everywhere, but we lack people who can make something out of nothing. This guy makes everything out of nothing. It seems like he's goal creating actions, he's shot creating actions. um, And, and like the, the amount of shots he takes in a game, he's just that that firebrand that can come in and, and and make teams stand up and take notice. He came in and he replaced Bruno Fernandez um in in the sporting team, um and 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 he basically took the took the league by storm. Uh, he's he's a former like uh, what Wolves did why why Wolves didn't hold on to him or what they didn't see from him. He's obviously progressed since he's gone out to Sporting uh, Club de Portugal, and it's something that like he's a really really good player. Eighty million, I think, is too rich for most people's blood. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be an eighty million pound player, but I think if Villa want him and they can spend on him, I think we would be very happy with the return that we would see from him because he's a player that villains will be excited about. I think because um he has that bit more industry. I I suppose, you know, we've got people there like uh like like Coutinho came in. We expected Coutinho to be in this attacking force, but he the the legs are slowly but surely kind of beginning to dissipate. Um. He's injured now at the moment, obviously, as well. But maybe that bounce we thought we would get with Coutinho after his first two or three games, maybe that sustained bounce might be something we might get from a Pedro Gonzalez or something like that. But um, I certainly would be enamoured to see him in the Claret and Blue next season because he's a big name on the continent and I think he's primed for a move somewhere right now. Yeah, it feels like it'd be a real statement signing for Villa, doesn't mm. it? Um, yeah. Is you know is is there anybody else that you uh, can think of that you would like to see coming into Villa in the summer? Is there any name that sticks out to you that you think you know you've seen a link there, or is there anyone you're aware of? You you know if, if Villa went for them, you'd be absolutely delighted about it this summer. Um, I've been looking. I've been kind kind of doing my travails on uh and and two areas and specific specific. I've we spoke about about Maddie Cash mm. and how Maddie Cash has improved. I wouldn't be surprised to see another another right back come in. I don't know who yet. If I had my choice of uh, if if I had my choice of a right back, I would bring in somebody like Vanderson from um from Monaco. 
or um, I'd even have a crack if we were bringing in a, a backup right back. I'd have a crack of Jen Bogle from Sheffield United. Really, very, very decent defender and and, and very good going forward. But um, I think in the attacking areas is where we're going to really be looking to make money uh, or to 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 spend our money. Um, and uh, outside of Guendouzi, I think maybe a, a striker of the likes of maybe somebody like a Brian Broby from um, from Ajax. I think he fits the Premier League pretty well. I think he's active. I think Unai Emery is going to want an active striker up there, like in Ali Watkins. Um, Brian Broby's having a having a um, Brian Broby's having a very very good season. And I've got a, I've got a piece coming out, and he's just a player I like at the at the moment. Um, if we were unable to. If somehow we were able to pack the Brinks truck up to Marcus Turam's door and <laughs> uh, and get him on a free transfer, I think that would be a knock it out of the park transfer. Um, I just think the boat has sailed on that, but um, you know, I I, I think there's it, it it's difficult to get a handle on what type of attacking player that Una Emery wants. So mm. it's really been an exercise of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks really and what you can maybe make sense of based on what we've what play we've seen from our players so far. But then again is Una Emery just um you know cutting his cloth accordingly to what we have. Does he have pl- different plans and how he wants to play next season? It's it we're we're in a really, really silly uh, kind of di- truncated situation whereby um it's going to be a super exciting transfer window. I think it really is going to be a super yeah. exciting transfer window. We are going to be linked with a lot of names. I think, the, as I said before, I think the the media are trying to figure out how we're going to play, and they're going to try. They've they're going to figure out who we're going to be linked with, or and we're going to see a lot of crazy names. We're going to see a lot of names that will be um actual goers. Uh, but for me, uh, as I say, I think the striking department is definitely somewhere that we're going to look at, um, along with that that attacking. We call it the attacking market, I suppose, really, with Pedro Gonzalez as well. Um, the winning that we 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 spoke about there previously. Yeah, well, um, yeah, exactly. So I can't, I can't help but think this summer, you know, Christian Perso said it was going to be a very busy summer. I think uh, recently, um, I can't help but think there's going to be quite a big overhaul. Um, I mean, we've had quite a few of them recently, and it hasn't always worked out. But mm. I think finally, with Unai Emery, there is a shared vision of where this might go i mean i'm there's a few things i'm intrigued by i'm intrigued to see what the future of langer is as well Johan lang you know we've seen it's, a few links to see. yeah sporting directors i mean hmm. do, do, do you think do you think villa might go for another sporting director as well or yes i i think the longer this uh antonio cardon uh doesn't sign for barcelona the more likely at least he ends up in in the premier league mm-hmm. um i think i think another sporting director it, it may not mean Johan Lang is gone, it, yeah. but it may mean that his influence is, is diminished uh, even further. Um, I don't hold any animus towards Johan Lang. I think he's working within his structure. I think his structure is to create that recruitment department along with the likes of Rob McKenzie, along with the likes of Mark Harrison. They've brought in some really great young players yeah. uh, into into the um, the setup. I don't think Rome is ever going to be built in a day with Johan Lang. I know he's third year now that he's been here this will be going into his third year uh, I don't hold as much animus as a lot of other people do um, and I think that he could be kept on because I think there's a lot of goodwill towards him at the club mm. um, now whether he will be kept on in that direct working with Unai Emery role or whether he wants to not be in that role like, he, he may be offered another role at the club whether he wants to accept it or not I think is, completely, is a completely different story because it may be seen as a demotion but I think Una Emery, there's just been too much smoke there in that one. He's obviously he was talking about uh, sounding out the the Real Sociedad um, yeah. 
uh, technical director, um, the, and and then obviously the links to the former Betty's director, um, were were there as well. I would be surprised if somebody else didn't come in there. I would be actually very surprised because I think when the the smoke around that fire is coming from somewhere, and it's coming from somewhere pretty definite. So yeah, I think we will hear news about that pretty sharpish towards the end of the season. Yeah, and you know just. Before we kind of wrap up, you know, I just, we, you mentioned the youth team there, and it ha- I mean, Villa's approach to the youth football, I think, has been absolutely brilliant in the last few years. I've been really pleased to see so many young players coming through, not just locally, but you know, players who signed from around <laughs> Europe and the world. Um, but uh, of all the youth players we have sort of out on loan, you know, Robinham's at QPR, Cameron Archer, and Jacob Ramsey seems to be doing really well at Middlesbrough. Um, do you think uh, there's well, Kane Kessler Hayden as well? Is another one though. He's he's come back. Um, is there anyone who you think could potentially step up next next season? Or do you think it's still a bit too early? I want to say yes. I want to say Tim Rogmanum is like really putting his hand up there to to be I just think he looks like a player that should be in and around his first team next season. Yeah. Cameron Archer is doing really well in the championship level. Absolutely like six goals in, in 12 games bit streaky in his scoring like he tends to score two goals in a game and then go uh, and not score for two or three games I can't I don't really care about that mm-hmm. um, Aaron Ramsey is, is is putting his hand up for contention as well but I think young Tim is the man I think young Tim is the guy that will come back and and be integrated because um, I think that I think that you know we did speak about Guendouzi there and I think I Will we go back in for him in the summer is going to be a big question. And if we don't, maybe Tim is the guy to come in there and be the understudy in that position. He's shown that he's not as much of a direct number six since he's gone to QPR. He's been played um in a more fr- a bit freer role, in a more traditional eight role since he's gone to QPR as well. And, and he seems to have kind of broadened his horizons, I suppose, really. And Tim is the one that I'm a, I'm the most excited about at the moment because you look at you you look at Alex Scott that's uh, playing with Bristol Bristol City at the moment. People are talking about him going for mega money. I think it's like twenty eight million or something like that. You look at him side by side statistically over the last over the last twelve months with Tim Rigbenham. They aren't that dissimilar in their in their mm. output, and 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 you know it's 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 an interesting one to 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 talk about. I know obviously goals and assists will cloud a lot of people's judgments and stuff like that when you're looking at players, but and they're not a direct apples for apples comparison. But I just think there's something in young Tim that yeah. we will see next season. I I was fortunate enough to see his uh, his debut against uh, Norwich last season. I thought he was really good, um, and I knew that he would go out and loan this season. And I think it was definitely the right decision. So, yeah, I hope he comes back and kicks on next season because he could save us a pretty penny there in midfield as well. Yeah, I think that's it. You're just hoping one of these youth players does save us that that money and you yeah. can then spend it kind of elsewhere, I guess, in the team or save it up for another time. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you're right. Robinham's the one that I think is, I don't know, there's just something about him, isn't there? Um, there's, yeah. a, there's a footballer, there's an intelligent player there. And, you know, with Kamara being injured now, you're seeing... You know how McGinn's having to step into that role, but maybe a Rogmanum could be a more natural kind of CDM, and McGinn could be left to be play a bit further forward. Though McGinn has done very well the last couple of games uh, in Kamara's place. Um, but you know, uh, you mentioned you were at the Norwich game. Um, you obviously you, you live out in the west of Ireland, a place very close to my heart, of course. My grandma from a Skeeton, uh, Limerick. So um, 
and all my other grandparents from Ireland as well, actually. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I love Ireland, of course, dude. But, uh, you know, have you got any plans to get back over to Villa Park anytime soon? You're hoping to get in? I'm over on the 8th of April for Forest game. Yeah, I'm over in Birmingham for that weekend, for Easter weekend. And, and unfortunately, I'm going to have to tighten down, tighten things down because we'll have another little set of feet uh, coming then in, in early May. So, um, nice. yeah, two under two will severely curtail my ability to travel um, just from a, a time point of view. But I'm looking forward to getting over for the Forest game. I have a an unbeaten. Well, sorry, I won't say I've got an unbeaten record. I've got a in recent times I have an unbeaten record at Villa Park. So uh, hopefully that Forest game will continue to be um will continue to keep that record record going. But I'm looking forward to it. I think the Forest game is going to be a good uh, a good game to go to because obviously Steve Cooper's team they're a bit Jekyll and Hyde this season, but they play good football and there's some good players that they have there, like so Bradley Johnson and and a uh, Brendan Johnson, sorry, should I say, and and uh, a couple of more um of the guys that they have there. So it's going to be an interesting one. I'm going to look forward to it. Yeah. Lovely stuff. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people seeing you around. Very happy to see you as well. Um, that winning streak, similar to my girlfriend, actually. She's been to three games, a playoff final, of course. We went together and uh, Villa won that. And then she went to the Brighton game where we won Matt Target, last kick of the game. So she's seen uh, Villa win at Wembley. She's seen Villa win with the last kick of the game. And then she went to the Manchester United 3-1. Um, so <laughs> I said, you've seen Villa beat Man United at home after 27 years. So maybe you should just go to every single game yeah. and... Uh, We'll end up as like Arsenal's Invincibles or something. <laughs> Anytime we need to break a streak, just bring her out. That's what you yeah, need to do. Pretty much, yeah. Um, well, no, it's been absolutely brilliant to chat to you. And it always is. I absolutely love listening to your thoughts about Villa. I love listening to your podcast for the love of Paul McGrath. Um, Thank you. Where, uh, you know, for those who, who don't know, I'm sure most people watching this and listening to it do, but, you know, for the, anyone who hasn't come across you, um, where can we find you online and uh, find out, listen to your stuff? Yeah, so you find me on Twitter. Twitter is where I'm most active uh, at Love McGrath Pod for however long Twitter is going to be around for. Uh, I'm <laughs> yeah. active there, and and then on YouTube, you know, any audio podcast streaming service, you know, you'll find us there. Thankfully, we're the only podcast I think that has Paul McGrath in the name. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's very easy if you just type in Paul McGrath, you'll probably find us in YouTube or wherever else. But uh, yeah, um, as I say, you find us YouTube any of the audio podcasts there. Yeah, my girlfriend being Australian, she's uh, she's big into cricket, so she was like, maybe she'll form her own cricket podcast called For the Love of Glenn McGrath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was the midweek social on All Villa and No Filler with our guest this week, Neil Dunworth from the For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast.